Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. But horse racing has provided me with great thrills in my life. When you cover a horse race and you hear it and you see it and they're pounding and the, you know, and the track is coming up, the dirt and the dust and the mud, it's really, it's exciting. Yeah. And you don't have to give them any money. Just give them oats. They're <laughs> apples. You don't have to give them any money. They perform for you. It's like it's, it's, a, it's all a about seal. the exposure, right, Dad? Just throw them a fish, right? <laughs> it's the exposure. Yeah. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. All righty then. Let me just before we get into the show, let me thank Peggy Ranella. Remember, I said a couple of weeks ago someone wanted to send us a quilt. The oh, Nationals yes. quilt. Right. Peggy Ranella sent us the Nationals quilt that she met. She had a, uh, a lovely note. My husband and I are fans of PTI. We watch every night. Enjoy your humor and opinions. I've made Yankees and Cowboys quilts for my grandson. I wanted to do this one for you. Hope you like it. It's beautiful. You guys have seen it. Yes, it's lovely. beautiful. Hand-stitched names from the Nats on it. Yeah, it's just so very nice. Thank you very much, yes, Peggy. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Got here yesterday. Uh, we're going to bring in Chris Eliza to explain the election. Look, I understand this is a sports show and it's a show about things that happen in my life, but election day is a big deal. And there was all sorts of talk about what the election would mean and red waves and blue waves and specific races and Herschel Walker and John Fetterman and, and all things like that. So we'll bring in Chris and, uh, we'll just prelude that by saying from just Justin Johnson, in Arlington, Virginia. Mr. Tony, honestly, I think it's pretty smart of Election Day to be held on a Tuesday so it doesn't have to compete with the NFL. <laughs> yeah, because I will tell you this. I was looking around last night for something to watch. Right. And after the uh, 7 to 8 show on ESPN with the reveal on the college football player, there was nothing to watch. Yeah. There were no sports. And I don't know. I, that's what I like to watch. <laughs> and I ended up watching some of the election stuff. We'll turn to Chris Saliza about this. And the, and the question to begin with, and it, there may not be an answer. Because when you watch television, thank you, Chessie, you didn't vote. Uh, I did. When you watch television, everything is too early to call. It's the next day, and it's still too early to call. When are you going to call it? You know, at Lent? What are you waiting for? What happened, Chris? <laughs> um, I think caution is generally uh, smart, although I know it's frustrating. Uh, so, yes. I, I think that the idea of Election Day has now merged into the idea of Election Week, um, where it takes multiple days, particularly in the races that are, are the closest to call them. I think uh, places like CNN default to caution, I think, yeah. rightly. Yeah. But, but it does make it less than satisfying on Election Night itself. Um, I think overall you saw a better to much better night for Democrats than I think most people expected. Um, we expected at this point, you know, Wednesday, uh, that the House would already be in Republican hands. It is not. I think it's headed in that direction, but narrowly. Um, we expected the Senate, we'd have a few Senate race calls. The only really big Senate race that's been called is Pennsylvania, which is a Democratic pickup. So yeah. Democrats now uh, are two up on Republicans. Republicans need to pick two seats up. Um, so, I, you know, there was a lot of talk in the weeks leading up to the election that Republicans were gaining strength, Republicans were gaining momentum. Uh, this would be a red wave of some size, you know, you can debate how, was it a 10-foot wave, a 5-foot wave, or a 2-foot wave? I think it was more of a Republican ripple, if anything. 
Um, there's still a bunch of house races undecided, so I think you know it's hard to say definitively. But clearly, a better night for Democrats than I think even they may have thought they were going to have. Just because I'll add very quickly, historically, this sort of election should be bad for the party in power. Um, midterm elections, when a president is under 50% approval, as Joe Biden is, are typically quite bad to disastrous for his party in Congress. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump lost uh, 40 seats. Barack Obama lost 63 House seats. So in elections similar to this, that is not that. That is not what we saw last night. So, you know, I get, I don't know if everybody gets these things on their phones. I get these emails from various political groups five, 10, 20 times a day. And most of them say, they're, if they are right wing, they say, well, when, we're going to win the House and impeach Joe Biden. <laughs> well, you go, what? But, but it's on your phone. So you just sort of look at it. We're going to impeach Joe Biden. Well, if it's close in the House, you can, you know, you can impeach anybody you want. You're not going to convict anybody because you're going to have people who say this is crazy. and We're not going to do it. And which leads to this question. What happens next? There was so much rhetoric on both sides. If it is a relatively close election, if it is a relatively close pickup either way, what happens next? It's, it, it, you can't go to the barricades with this, right? Well, <laughs> Donald Trump probably will declare victory because that's what he does. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it's an uneven result across the country. There are, particularly in the House, there are places where Democrats upset Republican incumbents. Uh, there are places where Republicans won open seats without a uh, without a um, uh, incumbent in them. Uh, it's hard, I think, at least at this point. It's a little bit of a muddle, and that makes it harder to get, have a clear takeaway of well, so and so won and so and so lost. What does that mean for governance? Well, if it's a narrow Republican majority in the House, and let's just say, for the sake of argument, Democrats keep the Senate, um, it makes whoever the Speaker of the House, probably Kevin McCarthy, but, you know, that, that could be up in the air, but probably Kevin McCarthy, it makes his job extremely difficult because... You're, to your point, you're, you're not doing the kinds of things that you do if you have a 25, 30, 40 seat majority. You're not probably pushing some of the more extreme uh, measures because you can't afford to lose almost anyone because you have a very small majority in the House. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, it's probably a recipe for not all that much getting done, which, depending on your view of government, is either a good or a bad thing. Well, yeah, I'm going to interrupt and say this. I think a result like this is actually good for democracy. I mean, I really do. Because it, it, it takes away the extremism that we might have seen if one, you know, the extremism that to me we are seeing right now in the Supreme Court, as many things that people in their 40s and 50s and 60s came to value their entire lives have been, you have, you're being told that's not the law anymore. That's upsetting. That's discomforting. If this thing sort of ends up in the middle, as you're suggesting, Chris, that's a good result from my point of view, because it means it, it means that they that things are closer than we thought. And maybe cooperation would come out of this because extremism and these waves would have been rejected. Or um, is that just pie in the sky from an no, old man? I, I actually think that's a very fair point. Um, I mean, I think that the way that politics works we're, we're now probably at a point where, get, just given the results, both sides will claim victory. Yeah, that's good. Um, but 
I do think that if you saw an election in which, let's just say, Republicans swamped and, and won everything, that would embolden the the most extreme elements sure. of their party. That things things the country had given them a mandate. Sure. If Democrats had, you know, swamped everything, it would have been similar. We we see that time and time again. And by the way, one of the most common things that happens is the party in, who's newly in power overreaches and then gets punished for it the next yeah. election. Well, that's, um, that's yeah, the good I, thing. The elections I, happen every two years. The big yep. elections, two, four, six, it, they happen all the time. So you can flex your muscles for a while, but they can vote you out. Yep, and I so I think yeah, it, it's interesting because I think we've gotten used to in the in recent elections uh, a clear winner and a clear loser, and I mean that more symbolically than just by the votes. You know, there, one party has succeeded and one party has failed. But I, you know, the last two elections, you know, Joe Biden won obviously in twenty twenty, but Republicans picked up House seats. That was sort of a an odd in the middle result that you couldn't determine, you know, who who it really, I mean, obviously the, the White House is probably the most important job, but you couldn't, it wasn't a clean sweep. And then this election where, you know, I think if the people leading stay leading, what you're going to have is uh, the Georgia Senate race will go to a runoff, which is December 6th between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. It'll go to a runoff where it's possible that the control of the Senate will be up for grabs in that race. So we may have another wow. situation where we're talking about a one-seat majority either way. The House looks like it's going to be close no matter what happens in terms of control. Um, I, I do think you're right that that suggests that there is sort of a, uh, a, a muddled in-the-middle verdict there Good. that... that does Good. not mean that one party can sort of run rampant for the next two years. And let me let me just go further to say this, that, for example, even if the Re- it's just easier for me to do this on the Republican side, you can do it on the Democratic side, too. If the Democrats win by one, you can't count on Joe Manchin to go down the line on the Democrats. Mm-hmm. If the Republicans win by one, you can't count on Mitt Romney to go down the line with the Republicans. So that, to me, is a good sign. And it enables people to get to the middle and coalesce there and, and, and make some sort of determinations. The overarching question, though, for you or anybody else who does this for a living, is is this more like, does it make Donald Trump more likely or less likely to declare and run? I think it has no impact. Really? Um, I, I think, you know, he said uh, in a rally on Sunday, Monday night uh, that he was going to make an announcement on November 15th at Mar-a-Lago. So he had already sort of he had already foreshadowed that he had already made up his mind and was going to make an announcement, a, a big announcement. Now, I mean, I guess it's possible his big announcement doesn't have to do with the 2024 presidential golf. race. But He's only yeah, bought a new course. Another live golf event. Yeah. Like, I don't you know, I think it's unlikely uh, that it's anything but that. I, I think he has made up his mind to run. Um, I think the, where, the world that he lives in, he will just declare victory in this election and move on, even though there are obvious places where candidates he backed wound up losing, including uh, close to us in Maryland, where his candidate just got absolutely demolished by uh, Democrat governor-elect Wes Moore. But no, I don't think it changes his calculus, because I think he lives in a world in which he's always a winner. Um, he, he just finds facts or makes facts up that... that make clear that he's won, even when he hasn't. So I think he's a full go uh, okay. well, let me, let me in, ask in the next one. I thought, if I look back on the year that he won, which was 2016, if I'm not mistaken, 
I thought the most amazing thing was how he picked off challenger after challenger after challenger in mm. debate after debate after debate in the Republican primaries. I watched it with, I was awed that he, and he got away with stuff that no politician could get away with. Personal attacks on people that no politician could get away with, and he got away with it. Will he himself face challenges? Will Youngkin run? Will DeSantis run? Good question. I think, uh, let me take the second person first. I, I think DeSantis had an amazing night last night. Yes. You know, it, it wasn't so long ago we were talking about Florida as a swing state. DeSantis won by 18 or 19 points. Against a guy uh, who was popular in the state, who had been the governor. Exactly, a former governor. Uh, yeah. So I think that uh, DeSantis, to me, had, if you're, if you're saying who had the best night, I would say DeSantis did um, in a in an election in which it was it was sort of a muddle. It was uh, some some good news for Democrats, some good news for Republicans. Florida was an unalloyed good news story for Republicans. Uh, DeSantis won overwhelmingly. Marco Rubio won overwhelmingly. Republicans won uh, up and down the ballot in the state. And I think DeSantis, if you watched any of his uh, victory speech, you know, he, he said this is an, uh, an election for the ages. That was his quote, which, you know, we can debate. But the point is, he's trying to make it broader, that, that what, what he just did in Florida can be done nationally. So I, I think if he was on the fence at all, it seems to me that this would tip him over into running, given the, the strength of support he had. I still think Donald Trump is the favorite in a race against anyone. Youngkin is 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 a possibility. Uh, Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland, is a possibility. Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, is a possibility. I, I, I do think I think that he will have a serious primary challenge. I also think that he remains the front runner, just because, to your point, he's shown an ability to win a contested primary before. If DeSantis runs. You know, he's never been in a presidential race before. It is a different animal. There, there, there are different expectations. You are facing an asymmetrical threat in Trump because he will say and do anything. Anything. Um, and that's hard to game plan for. Uh, you know, someone who will do, do anything is hard to plan for. Um, but I do think if I'm DeSantis and DeSantis's people waking up this morning, I have to feel really good about what happened in 2022 and what okay. it might mean for 2024. Get you out of here on this. What is it, Nigel? Oh, I, I wanted to ask uh, Chris one question if I could. I know, I know it's low. I can wait to the end. That's fine. Go ahead. Well, I, I know it's local, but um, Reginald was running for an at-large <laughs> seat on the D.C. City Council. Yes. Do you have any results on that or any insight? I that very, very closely. Uh, obviously, that's one of the target races we talk about. It's still too close to call. Right. Okay. Yeah, I feared that. Yeah, yeah it's a little, little too early still. It's going to be a barn burner. I'll get you out of here on this. I asked about Trump. Will Biden run again? I think if Trump runs, it makes it more likely that Biden runs, I agree. actually. I like agree. If Trump, if Trump does announce next week that he's running... I think it makes it more likely that Biden runs, because I think Biden's entire candidacy was premised on the idea that, like, Donald Trump being president is not normal. Donald Trump is doing damage to um, the, uh, the sort of fabric of American democracy, uh, and we can't have another four years of it. So given that, and given his emphasis on democracy and the importance of defending democracy that he's he talked about even in the run-up to this election... I think if you had Donald Trump waiting on the other side, I think it would make it more likely that Biden would run. That said, you know, he's 79 years old. Um, 
I don't think he has made up his mind definitively one way or another on whether he's running again or not. I, I, I think he is inclined. He has said he is inclined to run. Uh, they are putting the pieces in place so that if he does say yes, I'm doing it, they can flip the switch and be relatively prepared. But I, I don't know that that decision, that final decision, has been made. I think that's the work of from today to the end of the year, and probably before then. But, but. But now to the end of the year, I think he has to make a decision one way or another. Obviously, the race will start effectively once Donald Trump announces, which, again, is now six days away. Um, and, and so I think he's got to make up his mind pretty soon here. I, I'd say if I'm, if I'm gambling, I'd give it a 65% chance he okay. runs. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate Thank it very much. Chris Saliza, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Jason Lock and Fora, and we'll go back to what we normally do, which is talk about sports. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts this This is the tony kornheiser show Show. this is is sent to us by mark murray of wappingers falls in new york which is in the catskill mountains Attached two songs from the November 4th release of the album Retirement Home by Taxes, which is the current project from the extremely talented Robbie Cronholm, who I first heard in a band called Crumb back in 96, even before I started listening to this dopey radio show. <laughs> I never let either go, and here we are. Robbie is brilliant, charming, and sneaky genius He epitomizes a musician's ability to entangle various emotions into his songs. Sadness, anger, delight, happiness, all within the confines of a four-minute track. Bitterness is also key to his music styling. I figured you'd like him. His bitterness and spite rivals that of yours, Mr. Tony. This is a song called Asbestos, but heaven rest us, it's not asbestos. I believe Cole Porter said that 80 years ago. Uh, the band is called Tax. It's awfully good. Yeah, it's They're going to play good. a second song later, and they play in Jason Locke and Fora. Um, and I have to always write it down, I say, to plug your radio show at the end. But we're not at the end yet. Jason, let's talk about a couple of things. I, Mike and I, on PTI yesterday, had a question that we had to do for the 6 o'clock Sports Center, which was, what is like the sort of dominant theme of the NFL so far? And he took an optimistic view and talked about Miami and Philadelphia and I and the Alabama quarterbacks who are manning both of those teams and who are better than people feared they would be. Yeah. And that's true. I took the pessimistic view because that's who I am. To me, the dominating story is pretty simple. What happened to the Packers? What happened to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? So I'll ask you that to start. Well... Look, Father Time's undefeated. You know, we can start there. Yeah, but um, Brady Brady won a Super Bowl at 43. Yeah, but who else did? Nobody. You know, I think we, if we, we put people as Tom Brady's contemporaries. I'm old enough to remember when Peyton Manning was in that cohort. I feel like Peyton Manning's been retired forever. Like, I, I feel like, 
You know, I feel like he's been doing this Manning cast for a long time, and this other guy's still trying to win Super Bowls. So right. I don't know that anybody else goes in that tier, goes in that category. When guys hit the wall, they tend to hit it um, comprehensively. Like, it, it tends to uh, be all-inclusive and take them down. It's a coach who's never, I mean, never had to deal with any of her. I mean, it's unbelievable. Since he, since he took over that team, you could pencil them in for 13-plus wins and a division That's title. Right. Every year. And, yeah, at least one home playoff game, and then we'll see where that goes. So that's not there anymore, and I think it's exposing a lot of things um, about that staff and that organization. Uh, and they made repeated sort of deals, you know, bargains with the devil or whatever you want to call them getting down this road with Aaron Rodgers where he holds their entire offseason hostage, or, or they, more to the point, they allow him to hold their entire offseason hostage for a significant period of time, and they choose to operate in a manner in which, well, we're not going to commit to anything else until we're sure about our quarterback, and then by the time they bring their quarterback back, he wants all the money. He, wants, he doesn't worry about cap space. He's not worried about anything team-friendly. He's not doing any of the deals that Tom Brady did with Kraft. He wants every single penny, and he wants it now, and he wants it fully guaranteed this year and next year and the next. And by the time they do all that, guess what? Devontae Adams is like, hey, you guys had your time with me. You know, I'm, I'm, that's how you want to run your organization. That's fine. But I'm out. So now they lose their second-best player on offense, who, let's face it, this year would have been their best player. Um, they're a little late to sort of, I think, adapt to what they have. The quarterback every week seems to be chomping at the bit to undermine them, you know, whether it's on Pat McAfee's podcast or just with his regular interactions with the media or whatever. Um, and this defense that they really felt they built a, 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 a beast is uh, a pushover. So it's not going to be easily fixed. Um, even in a crappy NFC, I think there are more afterthoughts than, than anything um, to monitor on a weekly basis other than for, um, you know, uh, car crash potential. Yeah. Just, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a fractured team. They're long in the tooth in some key spots, um, like left tackle, like quarterback, uh, now they're getting beat up at running back, which I think would have been sort of their salvation. And their inability to get off the mat at Ford Field at halftime last week, I think, is really telling. That is a Lions team that gives everybody 30 points just for showing 32 up. 32 points We're gonna they yield. We're going to give you 30 and, and see and they if got we nine. can get to the mid-30s. They right? got like that's, nine. That's their game script. It's a historically bad, broken defense. And these guys can't finish drives against them no. in large part because the quarterback can't do his job. Um, yeah, and there's other times where he looks like he doesn't want to do his job. He doesn't want to push that ball down the field. He doesn't want to take that risk. He doesn't want to sling it around. He wants to hand it off to his running backs, and he wants to check down to his running backs, which is not why you pay a guy in excess of fifty million dollars fully guaranteed a year. So they got big problems, uh, and they're stuck with him for another year financially if 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 not otherwise his career starting with the stuff about the coronavirus him and phil mickelson they have gone down the hole they have gone down the hole it's amazing to me because he's a hall of fame quarterback let me get to the other obvious hall of fame quarterback it's all self-inflicted tony no one's dated them no one's goaded them they've just revealed themselves 100 percent you're a hundred percent right 
you know, and he has been snarky towards that team for two to three years, made it obvious he doesn't want to be there. Then he took their money and stayed yeah. there, and it, and they stink at the moment, and so does he, and it's amazing to me. Let me get to the other Hall of Fame quarterback, Tom Brady. I've watched him carefully for the last two weeks. He bounces 75% of his passes, Jason. Yeah. They're bounced. Then he comes down the field – 60 yards in six plays in 35 seconds and wins the game. Uh, does he convince you of anything, or do we take the do we take the what we've seen on most of the games and say it's over? Well, he, like I say, for me, he's in a different category. He's in a different tier. So I'm I'm not ready to say it's over. Okay, they play in a division that is terrible, god awful, rancid. It's not like it's you know Aaron Rodgers' division, and you got a Vikings team that is clearly flawed, but just wins every week. Like that's not happening in the NFC South. So I think you have to factor that into your Tom Brady equation. And yes, he is scudding balls in the ground, and then there's other times where he's throwing off his back foot and he's leaning, he's leaning back and he's he's airmailing people. I think a lot of that has to do with the donut. That is his offensive line. There's a hole in the middle, and nothing gets to Tom Brady like inside pressure. Right. And I think he feels it sometimes, even when it's not there. Um, they still have talent on that roster. That defense is is has been certainly better than Green Bay's, and I think has the potential to be better. Um, I have reservations about some of their overarching philosophies there in terms of trying to run the ball, like run their way out of everything. That's not... I don't know that that's going to work for them. Um, you know, Leonard Fournette is is one of the, arguably the most ineffective running back in the NFL this season. Uh, but you saw it, right? I mean, that I game was an, uh, an impossible watch for 55 minutes. Oh and then, God, oh, my God, awful. I'm glad I hung around because <laughs> Brady did it again. Yeah. Do I think they have some more of that in them, uh, especially against some really flawed teams in their division? I do. I think they're going to be in – they're going to be playing football in January. And when you and I are talking and they're playing football in January, right, the prevailing topic's going to be, can you bet against Tom Brady in January? Like, can, you, right. can, you, can you fade Brady in this spot? And they're going to have a fighting chance. So um, I wouldn't write them off. Okay. All right. That's good. One of the things in the Washington Post stuff that you've been doing is basically predicting which coach is going to be fired. I'm, I'm always into that. You had Matt Rule early. Um, I think you and I both had Frank Reich. I wonder about Josh McDaniels. They're 2-6. and six. That was a yeah. playoff team. They should have kept that interim guy. And that's a playoff team. And they are now 2-6. and six. And it's his second head coaching situation. It yeah. looks like he stinks. Um, and, you know, Mark Davis... He can operate any way he wants. Yes, he can. So what do you think? Is Josh McDaniel on the, on the hook right now? Um, I mean, I, I think certainly it's getting a little hot there. And, look, I, I still think Nathaniel Hackett will, will not be back with the Broncos next right. year. Right. Um, he did manage to win a game a couple of weeks ago in London, barely. We'll see what the second half holds for him. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't think he's going to get a second year in Denver. Um, well, look, if you're the Raiders and you can't beat – this Jim Ursay tanking on steroids, like <laughs> uh, ridiculous sociological experiment, experiment he's got going on with his coaching staff now, 
where I'm going to fire a beloved coach, I'm going to keep his entire staff, I'm going to force them to answer to a guy who had no interest in coaching in the NFL, never thought he'd coach in the NFL, make him the main guy in week 10 of a season where everything's already fractured and they already hate me for making them play Ellinger in the first place. But I want to play Ellinger because I'm not in the business of winning football games this year. I want to lose as many as possible because the only time I've ever been any good as a franchise is when a generational quarterback has fallen in my lap with the first overall pick. That's all I know. That's what I'm doing. Um, if you can't beat that operation in their first game, when, when Jeff Saturday can't find anybody in the building who has a pulse, who's ever done anything in his life to call plays because they're not in the business of bailing out Jeff Saturday and their tanking-ass owner, if you can't beat them, then how broken are you? Yeah. Like, if you get first dibs at them, you get first bite at that freak show apple. <laughs> If you can't make it count, shame on you. So this is an amazing thing. I obviously was going to ask about Saturday as well. And I, got, I was able to say this on PTI yesterday about Jimmy Ursay, who I said, I don't find him to be a beacon of light. No. Jimmy Ursay inherited this team. He didn't have to pass a test to get this team. No. The only two people in, in his life who have basically bailed him out through blind luck are Bill Polian and Peyton Manning. Yes. And without them, he's, he, he's just the mad tweeter. The, look, I really like Jeff Saturday on television. Yeah. I don't understand this at all, other, <laughs> than, other than you know you cannot win another game all year. I like him too, but it says something to me about Jeff Saturday to have a certain level of disconnect or hubris or whatever to actually say, yeah, boss, I'll do it. Yeah, I think I can come in there and I think I can come in there and fix this thing and become a head coach in a matter of a couple of weeks, and I might want to stick around and do this, you know, next year too. Like, to me, that's pretty revealing. Like, to 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 just he he's smart enough to know some of the interpersonal dynamics of like the cauldron he's walking into. He gets you, that. You got to be somewhat self-aware to say, my God, I couldn't really even win high school football games in Georgia. And I'm going to walk into that thing. I'm going to replace Frank Reich with his entire staff still there and and try to show that I can be an NFL head coach? Like, I don't know, man. I mean, and I don't know how much he's paying him. But, like, this guy just gave Frank Reich and Chris Ballard five-year extensions, like, a few months ago. He's, he's, and they systematically undermine this he's guy. He's the guy that wants to get rid of Dan Snyder. This guy. <laughs> yeah. This guy. What? Look at your own house. Nah, so it's one of the – and I have a piece about this coming up at the Washington Post. Good. Um, in a few hours. Th- this is one of the stranger things I've seen in 30-plus years of covering professional sports. Um, it's – it's utterly bizarre. I don't see how it has any chance to work, but then that's probably the genius in it. Because <laughs> he doesn't want it to work. Working means losing. Working means getting me in at least the top three to five picks so I, I can pick my next generational quarterback. All right. It's wonderful to hear. I just, uh, when the thing happened, so Matt Keller calls me at 1 o'clock, and he says they fired... Frank Reich, and I said, I believe I had that for the last three or four weeks. And then he says, you want to take a shot at who they are? And I go, no. And he says, Jeff Saturday. I said, what? I said, well, if you gave me a hundred chances, I wouldn't have said Jeff Saturday. Uh, Okay, fine. All right, plug your radio show for us. 
Uh, I yammer from 2 to 6 Eastern time on the airwaves at 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. You could also listen to us anywhere on the Odyssey app or stream us as well at www.1057thefan.com. You can read me twice a week in the Washington Post. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's about it. Hope everyone has a wonderful week. Thank you, Jason. Talk to you Always next week. Always my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Jason Locke and Fora, boys and girls. We'll come back with Jeff Ma and Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. It was the roll of a lifetime. Once again, this is a band called Taxes. This is led by Robbie Cronholm. We are paying attention to Robbie Cronholm because of Mark Murray, who had never even met him, just loves his work and got permission to send in all of his stuff. Uh, this is called The Screen Actor's Guilt. This guy is good. Michael, if original musicians like Robbie Cronholm and Taxes want to send us their music or have their friends send us their music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Anything we're selling at the moment? Uh, yes, always selling at shop.tonycornizershow.com. Uh, Rob's happy to take your orders. And TK Gobble, get those Thanksgiving orders in early. Make sure you defrost that turkey. <laughs> Jeff Ma joins us now. Before we get to the football, and you were 2-2-1 two, two and one last week. You lost the college game. but before, And I'll ask you about that. Before we get to that, is there any action on betting on elections? I mean, did you, did you pay any attention to the elections? Would you have had a best bet, or is that something you stay away from, you and Rufus? You know, we were actually going to try to have Nate Silver on last week um yeah he's a friend of ours and and uh the new york times guy he's great yeah yeah he obviously does a lot of you know his background is he's a chicago guy that um originally did was the one of the original guys at baseball prospectus which was one of the original sort of baseball analytics things he got his start uh in that world and and really just started kind of stumbled upon the election stuff because the predictive stuff they were doing in elections was so bad at that time The, the polls were actually often misleading, and, and how you actually interpret poll results was something that he realized there was an inefficiency in. Um, there was definitely a lot of action uh, a few years ago um, around Trump, um, actually both elections. I think there were a lot of smart people that thought Trump had a better chance to win uh, than most people did, and then in this most recent election, uh, a lot of people thought Trump had really no chance to win. And even in the live results, there was quite a bit of action. Uh, a few years ago, yeah, I, I, I bet against Trump um, in the most recent election because I didn't think he was going to uh, get elected. I, I didn't have anything in the midterms. Obviously, this result is a little bit surprising to most people, um, I think, hopefully in a good way. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, this wasn't something that I played in. But th- there is quite a bit of, of, of betting in the election markets for sure. So just as a follow-up question, because we all accept the fact that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, that he actually won. So what is, what's the payout when somebody starts screaming, I won and I didn't really lose? I mean, what, what happens? Well, it's just like anything else. I mean, I think, I think ever, the, the actual you know, betting houses and, and sports books um, don't pay attention to the lunacy of our pre- you know, previous president. I mean, the the the, the idea that the, obviously we know that, that you know what's interesting though is is it does present um, the sort of idea of of what kind of uncertainty is there around elections. Yes, 
going forward and election results going it, forward. So it does. I mean, it, it makes you wonder about the validity of voting, and it's not, you know. You sometimes you mail a ballot in and sometimes you go and you vote yourself and it's different than a basketball game where there's a clock and the game is over and you can't say, oh no, we won. You can't, you can't say that, right? It's different. Well, there, this is why like in the U.S. for a long time, they didn't allow betting on any of these events that were voting. So even oh. in the U.S. for a while, you couldn't bet on things like who would be the MVP in the NFL. Oh, I didn't know um, that. It took a it took a while for that to be to happen, and you know it's it's interesting because I do think what you will see a lot of conversation around whether this election has some amount of rigness to it because of the concept of what the expectation was going in and what the actual result was. Very interesting to me. Very interesting. But uh, but we are sidetracked. Tell us who you like this week. Oh, let me let me get to the college game. A lot of guys went down on this. Clemson not only lost, Clemson got pounded. That looked to me as the best bet on the board, Clemson minus whatever. It really did. What did you think of that? Well, I mean, I think we all made that better. At least my analysis on that game was that that Notre Dame would struggle to score, struggle to have explosive plays against that Clemson defense, and therefore Clemson could kind of grind out a win. Now, they got two you know defensive touchdowns early that changed, not early, but it, to, to you know, to sort of begin that game, i.e. in the first half, that completely changed the complexion of that game. You know, that block punt, whatnot. That, that stuff obviously happens, and that's why there's so much uncertainty in this. But when you get up and you get some easy touchdowns that give you a, a chance to really change the game state, and, and I think they ran over 50 times, so they never really had to pass, and not having to pass for them is, is a huge deal because the, the thought was they weren't going to be able to pass, right. and uh, Clemson would be able to shut them down keep them away from any explosive plays. So, you know, I tip my hat to Notre Dame. They've cer- they're certainly playing much better. And I actually like them this week over Navy, uh, minus the 16.5. That, that'll actually be one of my plays because I think that, that you know, they are a team that is, is healthier now, certainly, than they were earlier. Um, they're a team that can, can run and will run be over Navy, and I don't think Navy will be able to score much against them. So we're going to take that as one of your five picks, Notre Dame minus 16.5? Yep. Okay, good. What else you got? I'm going to take New Orleans minus the 2.5 over Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, New Orleans struggled uh, Monday night, but uh, this Pittsburgh team is, is not particularly good. Um, I think New Orleans still has pretty solid defense um, and, and can certainly win this game. It's how, you, know, you do this a lot. You take teams that I've just watched and I think are terrible on the thing that I've just watched and I forget about two weeks ago when they won like 27 to nothing. And I go, why is he doing that? But maybe you're right because Pittsburgh isn't any good. They aren't any good. All right, what else? I'm going to take the Chargers plus the seven over San Francisco. Um, obviously, San Francisco off the bye here. You know, bye is worth about a point and a half typically. Um so that's one of the reasons this line is so high. But and we've talked about the Chargers maybe not being really any good, being overrated. But I just think this is too many points for um, a San Francisco team that that you know is I think will be one of the top teams in the NFC by the end of the year, but still is um, a little beat up. Okay, what else? I'm going to take Denver plus the three over Tennessee um, off the bye. Tennessee off you know a very very difficult game um, with. Kansas City. This obviously 
hinges a little bit on on the hope that Tannehill will still be out. Um, but I, I like Denver as an underdog here. Denver's terrible. Russell Wilson's having a terrible year. Their coach is going to get fired at some point. You're taking Denver? I love this. You, you know, Tony, if it were easy, if these things were as easy and clear as you'd see them, then the, you know Vegas would not be you know, have the the big casinos that they do and wouldn't have replicas of uh, of Naples and whatnot all over the place. Okie dokie. Um, what else you got? I'm going to do one total. I'm going to take Jacksonville. Kansas City game to go over the 50-and-a-half. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but scoring is very depressed this year, so totals have tended to be lower and lower, but I think Jacksonville-Kansas City is going to be a very high-scoring game. I think it's going to run over the sport 50-and-a-half. I think, um, obviously, uh, this is just pure math in terms of where we project the total to be higher than this. I'm going to get you out of here on this. I'll ask you one more question because I've noticed this over a long period of time. Kansas City wins a lot of games, and they don't cover. They win games close. They don't care what the line is. They're, they just actually care about winning. But I've noticed that they win close games, and they're favored by a lot. Is that something that, that you have noticed, too? Or am I, am I wrong on this? Well, I mean, Kansas City is a very public team at this point because of the fact that they have such a great offense, and people want to bet on Mahomes, and people want yeah. to bet on scoring, right? And, you know, I think the reason you're noticing that is because they have these big spreads, they can certainly win. You know, last week I think the spread got all the way up to 14. They can win without covering, and and that's just a a function of the fact that they have these big spreads. Um, You know, I I don't think it's a matter of them not caring. I mean, certainly like, you know, two weeks ago, like you said, against San Francisco, they they covered by a lot, Uh, but that was a much shorter line. I think it was only like one or two at that point. Um, yeah, I, I think you're just noticing that Kansas City has a lot of big lines because they're a good team that yeah. the public likes to bet. Yeah, that's probably true. All right, you can uh, listen to Jeff and Rufus on Bet the Process. Do you have a guest on this week you want to tell us about? We, we do. We, we actually have a guy by the name of Jimmy Conrad who was a former national team member. We're, we're actually talking a little World Cup, and maybe we can talk a little World Cup betting as time comes. But we talk about the U.S.'s chances what the U.S. has done and, and soccer and, and how, how, how things are looking for them. And we talk a little bit about just the, the World Cup in general. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Jeff. All right, bye, Tony. Jeff Ma, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening, You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Capital One wrote to me and told me that I owed them all. But what for? Pay it off over time, your fee. Just 43,000 bucks by 2034. But I will tell that story. Every time I phone, it's a Shonda. <laughs> I try bombast. I use words you'll never hear on the podcast. And they compound the interest every night. So I'm that much closer to inside. And they'll never keep this customer satisfied. They don't try. Fabulous. Oh, no. Genius wears out after all. That's brilliant. 
It's just great. It's just great. <laughs> On the subject of the MacArthur Award, I've been passed over at these Genius Awards more times than I care to remember. But I'm happy to report that I have twice been runner-up for Elon Musk's Evil Genius Award. <laughs> so you take what you can get. It's so great. Just so great. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Brad. Brad Weiss, thank you. I loved it when I uh, was driving out to Tyson's and saw the Capital One building just off the Beltway. <laughs> just I hate them. They're sending they're, out the guards. They're vultures. They're omnivores. Now imagine if they tried to charge you, I don't know, a small fee for a paper bill. I would go crazy. Let me just say this. If I saw in my bill that my bill went up, let's just say to throw a number out there, $2 for an alarm system, and it went up $2, and I found out that's because I asked for a paper bill, and they just wanted to take money out of an account that I set up for them, my personal account. Or just send you the bill through an email. Or send me a bill through an email. I would go crazy. I would call up and I would say, if this is for real, I will cancel my service this very second. And then what I would hope would happen is that someone on the other end would say, you've been a loyal customer for a long time. We'll continue to send you paper bills. Don't worry about it. And that would make me very happy with my alarm security system. If, but you don't, you don't think that I no, should... I, I'm just happy. Joke's on you. The security system was never turned on. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel? Then? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say that I saw her face. Now, I'm a believer. Not a trace of doubt in my mind. I'm in love. I'm a believer. I couldn't leave her if I tried. This is, uh, of course, written for the monkeys by Neil Diamond. <clears throat> and the reason it comes about is that I was asked yesterday on the PTI show, am I a believer in the Utah Jazz? And I said, am I a believer? Yeah, sure. Not a trace of doubt in my mind. Nigel was impressed by that. Thanks to our guests today. Wonderful day of guests. Chris Saliza, Jason Lockenflora, Jeff Ma. Thanks to our sponsors, Policy Genius, Me Undies. Great read by Michael, Zip Recruiter. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Um... Carol came down to do the show when the dog got angry. Yeah, the and dog. the dogs. Chessie started barking. Yeah, and then they both left. I, I, you know, I'm unclear as to what happened. Would you say that Chessie herded her upstairs? Yeah, it felt like there was a herding thing going on. Yeah, it was just very weird. Now, let me get to some of these. Um, from Tad Zablotsky, I was catching up with the pod. I finally had my David Aldridge moment. You read an email from someone who lived in Boston in a building with a couple that combined several apartments to make a huge one. Upon inquiry, he learned that the woman who could afford that was a Hassenfeld, as in Hasbro, Hassenfeld brothers. I know them. They're my cousins. I went to school with Brendan Joyce at the New England Academy of Torah in Providence, home of the Hassenfeld, Hassenfeld family. Eat it, Shia Cone. Okay. <laughs> Let's get our personal angry, anger out there. Um, dear Mr. Tony, this is in response to Matthew Hatfield's email from September 28th about hearing La Cheeserie at a Maury High School football game and the ever-expanding connective tissue of the show. Since 2019, I've been the PA announcer for the Maury football team. As a longtime Little and PTI watcher, I thought it'd be funny to say La Cheeserie during the game to see if there were any other loyal Littles in the crowd. I apologize for the delayed response, but the analytics and marketing folks just had to get involved. After weeks of crunching the numbers, I was told 3.14% of the customers use the code at checkout. The low usage rate is probably because when you use code word La Cheeserie at checkout, you get a free smile. I wish we could offer some Tillamook ice cream or $13.72 Burger King gift card, but it isn't in the budget. Although if someone would like to send me a box of that so I can test the products out before giving them away, feel free to contact me at 411 and ask for a representative. Thank you for two plus decades of entertainment you have provided me. I humbly request to be the official amateur PA announcer of the Tony Kornheiser Show. 
I can, con- I can continue to open every game with a hello, friends, and welcome you looking live at Powhatan Field in beautiful Norfolk, Virginia, while working in a few matriculates and lecheseries <laughs> along the way, and yodeling, put it on the board after every Maury score. That's great. He's got a 50-pound terrier mix named Augie, and he says, eat it, A.J. McFadden. This is Tom Perlman from Norfolk, Virginia, by way of Olean, New York. Isn't that great? It's just amazing. <laughs> this one is more amazing. This is from David Hexter in D.C., I'm the David Hexter who lives in D.C., sorry for the oversight, who has read and followed you since you arrived at the Washington Post, whose son's music you played a few years back and who breakfasted numerous times at Chatter. I'm not the David Hexter who was a waiter at your camp a million years ago. However, as you pointed out, it is an unusual name. Based on a couple of random connections over the years, my best guess is that your former waiter is a dentist in New York City. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? From Alex Ferguson in Amarillo, Texas. I was listening to last week's show. You read an email about construction on Quivira Road in Johnson County, Kansas. I immediately thought, I know that road construction. It was my primary frustration when recently visiting the area to meet my girlfriend's parents for the first time, as Quivira Road is the main way to get anywhere from their home. Connective tissue indeed. On another note, are there any listeners around Sioux City, Iowa, who can tell me if the work on Interstate 29 is done? (laughs) I had to drive through there on an occasional basis for several years, and now with apologies to Twin Bing candy i think first of jersey barriers when i hear about sioux city wow (laughs) from kevin bench in the hills in texas dr tony there are never any roadblocks or constructions in the town of turkey texas population 493 feel free to drive through at any time from bill isaacson emailer paul skazafave mentioned recently that he went to homestead high school in mequon wisconsin Tony, to help you out, Mequon should be pronounced Mequon, not Mequon. You can tell Paul that I lived on Mequon in Mequon on Robin Lane, the first house off Mequon Road on Robin Lane, and just across the street from the Range Line Inn. Our house had an old barn in the back because it was Mequon. We did not go to the Range Line Inn much. Mostly we went for pizza to the spaghetti factory. Pepperoni and sausage on it. Good times. Oh, yeah, Lickfield County is in Connecticut. Sophia's aunt used to live there in West Cornwall, the town with a covered bridge. This will have to do for my help until you need theater tickets again. <laughs> From our friend Jason Smarl. We're visiting my father-in-law in Boston Spa, New York, over the weekend to celebrate his 90th birthday. The daughters and I take the dogs for walks in the quaint little village. As we were waiting outside the coffee shop, a man and his daughter walk into the shop. He's wearing a chatter t-shirt. Yes. I offer a subtle coil of cheesery, and he replies with a salute. My 17-year-old daughter next to me says, that happens here too? I reply, it happens all over the world, to which she replies, that is so creepy. As luck would have it on the way home, we saw two guys going up a hill with what I can only assume was their pedal assist on their electric e-bike. What a small world we live in. Yes. From Cody McCoy, longtime PTI viewer and new podcast listener, a week or so ago, my wife gave birth to our first child, a beautiful baby girl, Wynn Eleanor. She was born on 11-11. Around 4 a.m., my wife and I attempted to get some shut-eye, she in the hospital bed and me in what they call a couch bed. Getting as comfortable as I could, I tried to get caught up on the latest podcast. It was only later that I realized the memory of my daughter's birth will now coincide in my mind with the voice of Tony the Gang, an above-average betting monkey. Thanks for that. <laughs> anyway, like many littles have offered you before me, I thought I couldn't extend an invitation to a rounded kinlock to you as a celebration and thank you. And like another specific little before me, we'll somehow need to get into kinlock <laughs> as I don't have a connection. I will require airfare, lodging, room, and board covered. Your spare clubs are probably better than mine, so if you have those handy, it'd be appreciated. But at least let's, uh, the, we'll take the first round on us as long as the monkey has another good week this week. Carla Corrado. We love Carla Corrado. Yes. Carla Corrado in Columbus. 
On Thursday, when discussing Auburn's coaching carousel, Pat Forty said, quoting, Auburn is like the crazy millionaire in the rich neighborhood where the wife and the husband are out in the yard throwing things at each other. It's constant dysfunction and mayhem. The metaphor begs this question. Which rich housewives of name the city does Pat Forty watch? Has to be my favorite description ever. From Jackie Evans. I'm reaching out to you on behalf of the man to whom I will soon be related by marriage to invite you to our wedding. You'll find the invitation attached. This was apparently last Saturday. Yes. Alan is a huge fan of your show, and by association, so am I. Episodes fill our car every time we're on a drive somewhere. We laugh a lot. We still frequently discuss the Burger King pricing incident, and it fills me into Alan's true passion in life sports. He was fortunate enough to have an email read by you shortly after our engagement, because at the time we got to enjoy some Willamette wine, another something we were introduced to from your show. If you're ever in Cleveland, we'd be happy to share our solo stove. Not sure if the code was used. It was a wedding gift since Michael is stingy with his invites. Thank you for the endless hours of road trip entertainment, Jackie Evans. And one more from Mr. Danny W. Silver, who's the postmaster in Bass Lake. First time, long time. Back from the ESPN radio days. Here's my invitation to you and anyone listening to this. I've had the luxury of being promoted to the postmaster of the Bass Lake Post Office here in Bass Lake, California, just south of Yosemite. So this is not in the L.A. San Francisco corridor. Right. The swearing-in ceremony was held on Friday, November 4th. As a little, it's kind of a big deal. Thank you for all the laughs and regular content all these years. You don't know me, but because of the show, I feel like I've become a grown man. I'm over 40 with you and all the people on the show. Words cannot say what appreciation I have for you and this stinking show, but I owe you. Thanks. Much thanks. Let Michael know it's raining here as I write this. P.S. from LAX, take the I-5 north until you get to Bakersfield, then jump on the 99. After what will seem like years, get on the 41 north heading to Yosemite. After another literal year, more like an hour, take the Bass Lake exit. Look for the RV park. Make a sharp right, and the post office will be on your left. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. So today I'm announcing my resignation from Congress. These bastards fell like snow over the hospital. I went out for a pack of smokes, never to return again.
vanishes like a ghost Who knows who the killer is Oh, my. 